Welcome to Pardes Daily, where you get your daily dose of Torah with Pardes faculty. This time, Pardes is bringing Pesach to you. Let's dive in. Hi, this is Rachel Berkovitz coming to you from Jerusalem. This is Unit 9, where we're learning through the Mishnayot of Masecha Pesachim. We just started the second chapter, and last time we read the first Mishnah, in which we were introduced to the idea that besides being forbidden to eat and have chametz in our house, we are also forbidden to get hana from it, to get any enjoyment or benefit from it. And we were also introduced to the idea of what's the relationship to Jews on Pesach and non-Jews on Pesach. And the very fact that non-Jews are permitted and not obligated in the mitzvot that Jews are and are allowed to eat chametz means that we are able to sell them our chametz before Pesach. And I don't think this is talking about what we know today. This is that that is a way to eradicate it or a way to get it out of your home, not that you would buy it back. The next two Mishnayot are also going to deal with our relationship to selling things and buying things from non-Jews. Mishnah Bet starts, Chamech shel nofri, she'avar lav ha-Pesach, mutar bahana'a. Bishel Yisrael, asur bahana'a, she'ne'amar v'lo yireh l'cha seor. The chametz that belongs to a nofri, and here it's going to be very clear in this chapter that chametz belongs to specific people, and different people have ownership over chametz. So chametz that belongs to a nofri, they own it, it's in their house. That avar lav pesach Pesach has passed over it, right? We have Passover passing over, right? That all the time he had it in his house was during the dates of Passover, and now Passover is over. It is permissible for us to get enjoyment from it i.e. we could buy it from him, we could use it. It's totally fine. It's as if it has not transgressed in any way because it has not transgressed in any way. As opposed to Shel Yisrael, and here you have to read Chametz Shel Yisrael, Chametz that belongs to an, a Jew, right? And you also have to sub in Sha'avar Lava Pesach, that, that the Jew continued to own it during the Passover holiday, right? And the Jew did not burn it as they were supposed to or get rid of it by having it blow in the wind or dumping it in the sea. Um, that is forbidden to enjoy. You cannot get any enjoyment, right? You you did what's right, but your neighbor, your Jewish neighbor, didn't get rid of their chametz. After Pesach, you cannot use and benefit from their chametz. And finally, this is the first place in the entire tractate, we quote a verse in the Mishnah. The Mishnah quotes us a verse. Um, and in the printed Mishnah that you have in front of us, the verse um, says, and you should not see, right, below your elacha. You should not be seen to you, Seor. Seor is the leavening agent, like the yeast, the leavening agent of, of Hametz. However, in the manuscripts, the word Seor is not there. It just says, lo your elacha. And it could be referring to anything. That The pasuk says, lo your elacha Hametz, below your elacha Seor, right? It's any lo your elacha. You shouldn't, it shouldn't be seen to you, the chametz, it shouldn't be seen to you, the leavening agent. And the irony of the end of that pasuk is, the end of that very same pasuk is, behold vulecha, in any of the boundaries of the country, right? But the irony here is we're using this verse and you have to say it's interpreting it differently. It's not, right? Because if it was the whole entire boundaries of the country, then we would care that our non-Jewish neighbor had chametz and we wouldn't be able to enjoy it afterwards. But the drasha seems to be on the word lecha, lo yere lecha. And this is not a chametz that belonged to you. If the chametz is identified as Jewish chametz, belonging to a Jew, then all the rules of, of the prohibition apply to it. No eating it, 
if it if it was not gotten rid of during Pesach, you cannot have any benefit, not only during Pesach, but even after Pesach, no benefit. And obviously no benefit includes also not eating, right? Because a benefit is the same as eating. So I cannot eat it and I cannot benefit from it, right? And on the flip side, if it did belong to a non-Jew, even though it might be in the gvulim of our city or of our country, it was not mine, but it was it belonged to him. It was the lacha, it was a non-Jew. Then it's totally fine. I can get enjoyment from it and I can even eat it, right? And, and the Gemara asks, well, if I can even eat it, why didn't it say you can eat it? Why does it say and you can get enjoyment from it? And there are two different answers given in the Babylonian Talmud and the Jerusalem Talmud. The Jerusalem Talmud has a stringency and thinks that Jews don't eat pot akum. Jews don't eat bread cooked by non-Jews, made by non-Jews any time in the year. And it's one of these sort of separations to sort of make distinctions between us and non-Jews and to separate from them. We don't buy their bread anytime. So I wouldn't, nothing to do with Pesach. I wouldn't be eating it, but I maybe could get benefit from it. I could buy it and, and I could use it as animal feed. I could, I could buy it and then maybe plant it. I could do all sorts of things. I could sell it in my store, but I wouldn't eat it. So that's why the Rishamah thinks it says Hana'a specifically and not eating it. The Bavli says, doesn't have that same sort of stipulation that they wouldn't eat um, the bread. And it says, I, the reason it says that I can get benefit from it, but it neglected to say I, that I could eat it is because of the end of the Mishnah. Because the end of the Mishnah, when I'm talking about a, a, a Jewish chametz, right? If I just said you can't eat it, you might have thought I could get benefit from it. So I have to tell you, not only can't you eat it, but you also can't get benefit. And I needed to say the extreme of benefit in that one. So, so too, in the beginning of the Mishnah, I also said benefit. Okay. And so we've, we've, We've hammered home what we that beforehand I can sell it to a non-Jew. And if they have the chametz on Pesach, that's okay, a non-Jew. And I can benefit it from afterwards. And so this this in some ways it's telling us another way that I can I can remove or destroy my chametz. Put it in the possession of a non-Jew, sell it to a non-Jew, and then it's removed. It's not mine anymore, and then it's not forbidden. And afterwards, one could have use from it. The second Mishnah also continues on this theme. And this Mishnah is a little confusing. It says, Nochri shehovat Yisrael al achar ha-Pesach mutar bahana'a. A, a non-Jew who lent money to a Jew on the basis of the Jew's chametz, right? The non-Jew said, here, you want to take $1,000? Give a thousand dollars, but how do I know you're going to repay the loan? And the Jew says, "Here, take my chametz alcohol as a as as a collateral, and when I pay you back the loan, I'll give you back the chametz. You'll give me back the chametz, right? That's what it means to lend something on the basis of chametz. And let let's let's skip the part because this is the complicated part about if that's permitted or not. The Mishnah is going to have two directions: either the the non-Jew lends money to the Jew and receives the Jew's collateral. So the Jew's chametz is now in the in the non-Jew's possession, but still sort of owned by the Jew as collateral, right? And the second example is that the Jew lends money to the non-Jew, right? And, and the non-Jew gives his chametz to the Jew as collateral. And now both of those scenarios, right, is that, the, the kind we had just determined that it depends on who's the owner of the chametz. 
But now we have this quasi-like interesting situation where in theory one person's the owner of the chametz, but in practice maybe the other person is because they're holding it as collateral and if the loan doesn't get paid back, it will be theirs. And we we did that scenario in both directions. And the reason I'm sort of ignoring what the halakha is, is there's a problem with this Mishnah. When the Mishnah appears in the in the in the traditions from Israel in the Yerushalmi, it says, right, they're gonna say one side is permitted and one one direction is forbidden, depending on who led to who, right? After the Chag, if it's gonna be that you can get Hana from it. But the problem is that in the traditions from Israel, it says side A is permitted and side B is forbidden. And then in the traditions from Babel, it's completely flipped. And it says side B is permitted and side A is forbidden. And so the fact that we have confusion about this makes me very challenged to explain you the logic, but I will try to explain you the logic, but I'm setting it up already for the beginning that you realize that there's something confusing here. And the main thing that maybe is confusing is the case itself. What do I do with Hametz when there's not a clear owner? What do I do with Hametz when it kind of is owned by one person, but it's sort of in the domain and, and the authority of another person as collateral? Okay, the way it appears in our Mishnah in the printed text here is the way the Babylonian Talmud has it, right? And this is how you have to explain it. Okay, it's as follows. I have to even like get it clear in my head um, that uh, that uh, the non-Jew lends the Jew money and the Jew before Pesach says, here, takes my chametz as collateral. And then the Mishnah says, mutar bahana'a. It is permissible to get benefit afterwards. And you have to say like, how is it? It, it was sort of the ownership of the Jew. But you have to understand this based on an idea that what the, when the Jew said, I'll borrow the $1,000, I'm giving you this chametz as collateral. But then he said, but if I don't come to, to pay you back before, chametz, before Pesach, I've sold you my collateral, right? You have to add this in to understand it. And this is how the Babylonian Talmud does it. And it quotes a Brita. There are even two versions of the Brita of which way it goes. So it doesn't help us that much, right? Of, of, so. It's even though I it was mine and I've left it as collateral, part of the deal was that it made a tonight and made a condition that before Pesach, it would be moved over into the domain of the non-Jew. And then we say it's his. And then in some ways, this halakha isn't any different. It's just comments that's owned by a, by a non-Jew. And then the opposite is that the, the non-Jew gave me his comments with the same tonight, with the same condition that if I don't come back to you, it's as if you own it. He didn't come back. Now the Jew owns it. So even though it was originally the non-Jews, and that's why it's forbidden to get any benefit from it. Um, right. It says, right. After Pesach, it's forbidden to get any benefit because it's like the Jew owned it. And in some way, the Bavli's read, you have to understand that the guy basically sold it. And then it doesn't give us any Chiddush. The Jerusalem Talmud's read is the opposite. The, the version of the Mishnah that appears in the Jerusalem Talmud is the opposite, right? And the assumption is the following, that the um, the non-Jew lends the Jew money. The Jew says, here's my chametz as collateral. But the assumption is that he's not really selling it. He wants to get it back, right? That's when I lend something with collateral. I intend to pay back the loan and I want to get my thing back. And then the Kiddush is, that despite the fact that it's not in the Jew's possession, it's in the non-Jew's possession, because my intention is to get it back, it's still mine, even though I don't have access to it. And even though you might have thought it's sort of out of my house, and after Pesach will be forbidden for me to get Hana from it. 
And then the opposite would be if I lent money to a non-Jew and the non-Jew give me his collateral and it's covets, even though it's in my house and, and I see it because the assumption is he's going to come back and get it. And it really belongs to him that it is, um, that after Pesach, I can get Hana from it, right? And this read of the Jerusalem Talmud adds a level that I didn't know before with these examples. So I'm a little bit leaning to that's the correct a way to read it, opposite of what is written in your written text here. Then the Mishnah continues, and it adds something that's a little bit awkward at the end. It adds the following. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel Omer, kol Right, chametz that a like an avalanche, a building collapsed on it and now is buried under the rock. It's as if it's been removed or destroyed. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel says <coughs> that's as long as a, a dog can't search after it. And most people understand that Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel isn't disagreeing; he's building. When would be the case that falling bricks on it work? Is when, right, if a dog smells, smells the chametz, and here's an example of, of animals, again, wanting to eat chametz, and them having a desire for it, and he's he's digging in under the rubble, and he can get the chametz, then it's accessible, and that's not considered destroying it and taking it out. And and so you have to evaluate when things fall on it, if you could get it out or not, and if you could, then you must, right? The Gemara says that's three tfachim, which isn't very much, but I don't know. You'd have to evaluate if an animal would dig through the rubble and get it. And so then we have this question, like, what's this doing here at the end? How do I understand this bit about the Mapolet? Right. And we have other examples of, of things collapsing. We have examples of, of collapsing on, on, on onion seeds. And if they sprout, then it's considered a field and I have to tithe it. We have examples of walls collapsing, unfortunately, on human beings in the Mishnah and Yoma. And um, can I can I on Shabbat or Yom Kippur remove the boulders, which might be some type of transgression because I'm, there might be a possibility of saving a life. And we say, yes, it doesn't matter. You, you should try to remove them. So it does seem like normally when things fall, there is access to it, it underneath. And the, the only understanding they could have sort of have, right, of why is this put here? Why wasn't, if it's talking about removal and eradication and ways to eradicate, why wasn't it put in the first Mishnah? So the Mechilta of, of Rashbi says, um, If you have access to it, then you're required to get rid of it. And we have the same question. What does it mean? Is it in, in all your gvulot, in all the boundaries, I have to get rid of something or only if I have access to it? If it belongs to the non-Jew, I don't have access. If it's underneath a, a pile of rocks, I don't have access. I might not be required to get it. Right. And then I have a funny case where it might be mine, but it's in his possession and I don't have access. Is that considered getting rid of or not? And that's what it's discussing here. OK, we're going to continue with this discussion next time. Thank you to our Pardes faculty and a big thanks to you, our learners. Make sure to check back in every day to stay on track with your learning and visit www.pardace.org.il for more information about other ways to learn with Pardace.